tonight we'll be going and be looking at verses 16 to 18 in Matthew chapter 6. And um, in particular, we are going to skip down to verses 16 to 18 tonight. And so those three verses, we are be looking at um, fasting, fasting. So tonight, we are going to do an in-depth study on fasting. And I have lots of material and we may not get through in the time frame we have, but I'm going to stick with my notes as much as possible that I've compiled. Okay. Um, let me read the text, Matthew chapter 6, verses, verse 16 to verse 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. That's the New King James Version. Father, we thank you for your word as we embark on this study. Lord, this very um, important study, but often misunderstood in so many ways. I pray, God, the details that we are going to go through, that you will help and steer our minds in the true meaning of what fasting represents. And so, God, I pray that you'll help me and help all of us who are listening as you, through your spirit, be the teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, um, so we'll be looking now at um, the text. Now, in this section, Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, um, fasting has been a very controversial topic all across the board in Christendom. And, um, and so I'm going to deal with um, what fasting should not represent, what it represents, some of the, um, the misappropriation of fasting, and I dare say even the abuse of fasting, and all of this will be biblically based. And so, as Kevin Springer noted in his book, Hunger for God's Kingdom, in particular verse 9, he states that we live in a consumer-oriented society with, that bombards us with messages of instant gratification. You can have it all. Go for the gutso. Have it your way and have it now. And this is a kind of mindset where fasting does not make sense at all, according to him in our society. Fasting is or more often a lost discipline. Even from a Christian point of view, it seems a little odd too. If God has generously created food to be gratefully shared in 
by those who believe and know the truth. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. What possible reason could be there, could there be for abstinence? It seems like something reserved for the weird, the odd, and at worst, the masochist. The reputation of fasting has also suffered because of its association in the minds of many with an ascetic, abusive mentality that is associated with monks and hermits. In centuries past, fasting was often subjected to rigid regulations and was combined with extreme forms of self-mortification and self-denial. Little wonder then that fasting seems so often to contribute to that holier than thou mentality we all want to avoid. There is no getting around the fact that fasting is inseparable in the minds of many from a showy and unostentatious self-righteousness. Richard Foster points out in his book, Celebration of Discipline, pages 47 to 48. This is what he says. Um, the constant propaganda fed us today convinces us that if we do not have three large meals each day, with several snacks in between, we are on the verge of starvation. We always say, I'm starving. Um, this coupled with the popular belief that it is a positive virtue to satisfy every human appetite has made fasting seem obsolete. And that is so true. You know, um, this is the kind of slow conditioning of the mind, especially when they, in, um, they, in the health and wealth, in, in the wealth um, gospel, um, the, the rich gospel where they talk about you have to be rich, you must have everything. That is a mentality. Fasting is like way on the other end of the spectrum. One thing that will help us in our attitude towards fasting is to distinguish it from other reasons why people don't eat. This is very important. For example, fasting must be distinguished from hunger strike the purpose of which is to gain political power or to draw attention to some social cause. Some of us are old enough to remember in the past um, where people would go on hunger strikes and there's this um, social critic, Dick Gregory, who was renowned for that. We must also distinguish fasting from healthy dieting, which insist on abstaining from certain foods for physical reasons, saying no to burgers and shakes so that you can look better in this summer's swimsuit. It's not what this is about. Biblical fasting has nothing to do with, um, with anorexia nervosa, an emotional disorder in which a person starves his or herself to lose weight, either out of self-contempt or in hope of becoming fashionably 
and love, lovably thin. Finally, fasting must be distinguished from how it is practiced in numerous religions like other pagan religions. And the purpose they fast is to control or to appease gods, these common G gods, or perhaps to make contact with spirits in order to manipulate their power. And this is some of the reasons why fasting itself, fasting for fasting's sake is from a biblical perspective. In other words, fasting must be informed by the Bible and not just informed by anything out of fasting because then it becomes very dangerous, okay? We are commanded, are we commanded to fast? The question should be asked. And some people believe that unless your fasting is in your, in your diet, in, in, your, in your spiritual diet, um, you cannot be grow spiritually. We're going to address all of that. Another thing too is that there's a thing in health circles called intermittent fasting. That is for health reasons. Again, there are lots of benefit for that. Um, that's not what we're talking about. But the question is asked, are we commanded in the Bible to fast? The clear answer to this is no. Let me qualify. By a but accounting, accounting um, all the biblical reasons for fasting in the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, we're going to see that those accounts, um, commands were not given to God. And according to our text, Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, Jesus simply assumes that we will fast. Twice, Jesus says, when you fast. As, as um, Foster noted, um, it is as if there is an almost unconscious assumption that giving, praying, and fasting are all part of a Christian devotion. Now, we're going to see that we, are, we, we give, we pray, but we are very anemic and deficient when it comes to fasting. We have no more reason to exclude fasting from the teaching um, that we do for giving and praying. Therefore, although Jesus does not say, if you fast, neither does he say, you must fast. He says simply, when you fast. And there is a, there is a very wise way of Jesus putting it. Because... Um, Fasting can be used in a wrong way, but because, and we're going to see why he uses the term, um, why he says when, because fasting is much deeper than we think. And we're going to see that. In Matthew 9, verse 14 to verse 17, it's especially instructive on this point. When the Pharisees squared up, why Jesus' disciples didn't fast, he explained it in terms of his own physical presence on earth. Here's what Jesus said. But the days will come, he said, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Matthew 9, verse 15b, the second part of the verse. The point here is that the Messiah has come like a bridegroom to a wedding 
feast. Such a moment is too joyful and stunning and exciting to mingle with fasting. This indicates, by the way, that in those days, fasting was by and large associated with mourning. People fasted as an expression of deep personal longing for something more precious than mere food. Their self-denial was symptomatic of a heart sickness born of desperation. Fasting is for times of yearning and longing. When the bridegroom is no longer physically with us on earth, then it is appropriate to fast. In this age, there is an ache, a homesickness of sort inside every Christian because Jesus is not as intimately and powerfully and visibly, and I would say personally present as we want him to be um, in a physical, tangible sense. And as we know, one day he will be. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And um, let me bring, though we have not seen him, we love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There you have it. And that is why we are to fast. And this is an important point. Um, why fasting is important here. We're, not, we're copying the other pagan religions or we're just punishing ourselves because I dare say that uh, they're trying to manipulate the gods. God cannot be, fasting should not try to get God's attention for him to be gracious. God is already gracious. And so we, I, I hope that at the end of this study, our reasons for fasting will be informed by truth because there's a subtle way in that we believe that God, since I suffer and sacrifice so much, then, then you, you have to do this and you have to do that. No, 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 no. We're going to see it's not quite so. There is, in this regard, a fascinating parallel between fasting and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a feasting that looks backward in time, whereas fasting is a feasting that looks forward in time. Note, I'm going to use interchangeably. Fasting is actually feasting. <laughs> the breaking of bread and drinking the cup is done in remembrance of our Lord's historic and therefore past act of sacrifice. Thus, by eating and drinking, we celebrate the finality and efficacy and sufficiency of that atoning death and that glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should never fast from the supper of the Lord, even when we are fasting from other ordinary suppers. On the other hand, as John Piper explains, and I'll say this, let me pause here and say something. 
I know a lot of churches that when it's time to break bread and have communion, that is when people fast. And I dare say, don't, don't sign off on me as yet. I dare say that let's fast at other times, not at that time. For the reasons I'm giving here. Here's what John Piper explains. By not eating, by fasting, we look to the future with an aching in our heart saying, yes, he came. And yes, what he did for us is glorious, but precisely because of what we have seen and what we have tasted, we feel keenly in his um, absence as well as his presence, this longing. We can has come. But this we also know, he is not here the way that he once was. And his physical absence is painful. The sin and misery in the world is painful too. We long for him to come again and take up his throne in a visible, tangible sense and reign in a visible, tangible sense in our midst and vindicate his people and his truth and his glory. In his, in his book, uh, A Hunger for God, page 84. Now, it's important to note here that God's kingdom has already come in us in a spiritual sense, and he is reigning because he's king. When we sit at Christ's table with other believers, we gratefully fearfully, joyfully feast upon the, the food and drink that reminds us of what has happened. And when we turn away from the table where otherwise daily meals are served, we declare our deep yearning for what has not yet happened, which is his second coming. How many how, how may we sum up these thoughts concerning our obligation to fast? Richard Foster comes again right with an accurate point. There, sim there simply are no biblical laws that command regular fasting. Our freedom, opportunity, since there are no laws to bind us, we are free to fast on any day. And that, that's a wisdom there. Um, we are free to fast on any day. Let me read this again. How many, how may we sum up these thoughts concerning our obligation to fast? Richard Foster comes right to the point. There simply are no biblical laws that command regular fasting. Our freedom in the gospel, however, does not mean license. It means opportunity. Since there are no laws to bind us, we are free to fast on any day and as frequently as we like. Why should we fast? And um, 
there are there are about 15 reasons are more more reasons why we should fight fast but i'm going to list a few here um maybe about 20 in all but here we go um the key is to remember that fasting is always motivated by deep desire it should not be a routine you know your body's there but you're not there and sometimes we are so rigid with fasting um that we it becomes like a law in ingrained in churches and it becomes legalistic and it must become it must come out of a desire a desire which means a desire that is informed by a love for the lord if it becomes a rule then it ceases to do that and it becomes a legalistic principle that um that just peters out into a ritual um it can it has that possibility whereas there is certainly a measure of physical pain that comes with fasting let us remember contrary to popular opinion fasting is not the suppression of desire but the intense pursuit of it we fast because we want something more than food we desire food but if we desire something more than food that is what fasting really indicates and say we say no to food for a reason only to fill ourselves with something far more tasty and more filling and far more satisfying that is to say if one suppresses the desire for food it is only because he or she has a greater and more intense desire for something more precious something of eternal value we don't fast because we hate our bodies and look to punish them that is what the ascetic the asceticism did that's what the gnostics did and we have to be careful that we do not slip into what is called neo-gnosticism where we just punish the body as if the body is evil and um and we, we're beating it so to speak as paul says that itself is a contradiction because the bible says the body is a temple of god and we must love ourselves and ourselves include our body but you don't worship it whatever immediate discomfort we may experience it is a sacrifice that pays immeasurable long-term benefits we do not fast for pain but for the pleasure of experiencing still more of christ jesus and the revelation of his powerful presence in other words fasting is perfectly consistent with christian um desire for fellowship so fasting was practiced to avert in the old testament this is fasting was practiced to avert god's judgment and displeasure against his people fasting per se could not turn away god's wrath but only in so far as it was an expression of conviction for sin 
You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 6, Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, Jonah chapter 3 and verses 5 to 8, Judges chapter 20 and verse 26, Esther chapter 4, and also 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 9, Jeremiah 36 and verses 6 and 9. Then, another point is that the people of God often fasted in preparation for war with a view of seeking God's protection and blessing. Thus, fasting is specially appropriate in times of national emergency. And we're going to see that in the history of England um, in, in a bit. We see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 4, and Joel chapter 2 and verse 15. Also, fasting was one way of seeking God's help for deliverance, deliverance from personal troubles and oppression. It was a sign of utter reliance on God alone to help and to save. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verses 27 to 29. And then fasting was often an expression of sincere and heartfelt repentance from sin and humility before God. The only fast day for Israel, this is important to note now, let us note that the only fasting day for Israel as a nation was the day of atonement. Leviticus 16 verse 29 to 31. You can see also Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, Psalm 35 and verse 13, where it just says there, I humbled my soul with fasting. Fasting humbles us. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and of course, again, I'm repeating this, Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Then also, fasting signifies an expressed mourning, sorrow, deep grief, and sadness. 1 Samuel 31 and verse 13. Fasting following the death of Saul and his sons. 2 Samuel 1 verse 12. David fasting on hearing of Saul's and Jonathan's death. Second Samuel chapter 12 and verses 15 to 23. David fasted while grieving over the fatal illness of his son. First Samuel 20 and verse 34. Jonathan fasted out of grief over his father's treachery against David. It is as if one says, I would know, I would not be, it, uh, let me say, it would not be proper to enjoy the pleasures of food at a time of such tragedy and sadness and loss. Now, 
let me pause here. What came to my mind as I researched this is um, that normally after a funeral, we have a, a time of celebration. We go back and we have eating and everything and we have a good time. And um, I'll have to research how that came about. But based upon this text here, it seemed as if in the olden days, biblical times, the opposite was done. The opposite was done. It would, it would not be proper to enjoy the pleasures of food at a time of such tragedy, sadness, and loss. And some may say, well, that was Old Testament. No, the death of a believer. No, we celebrate life and so on and so on and so on. I understand that reasoning, but, um, but a loss is a loss still. We, we know and it's a given that you're with the Lord and um, we celebrate their entrance into heaven and so on. Um, you could look at it that way, but I'm just showing how fasting was used in the Old Testament in this context. Also, Ezra fasted as part of his request that God provide him with a safe journey. And this is very instructive because if, if you read Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 to 23, here we see that Ezra refused an army escort so that he could um, testify to King, to King Artaxerxes about the power and faithfulness and sufficiency of God in protecting his people. This is important, especially in the time of coronavirus now. Instead of the king's help, he sought God's help and he sought it through fasting. Notice also that here again, fasting is an expression of humility. Verse 21, fasting. Um, let me see if I can. Here's what he said, Ezra 8, 21. Let's go read 20, verse 21, not, not the whole thing. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God and seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. And he says, for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers. In other words, this is some deep stuff here, brethren. And um, this has some serious ramifications. Um, in, our, in our personal lives too. Not that we must be reckless, but here is some stuff where I wonder what, what they would do if, if the coronavirus was back then and they didn't have a vaccine or they did. I'm not saying that either way, but this is very instructive, I believe. Personally, Ezra 8 verses 21 to 23. Um, he sought God's help through fasting. Notice also he humbled himself. Fasting is a humbling of ourselves because in it we feel and express our absolute dependence on God. Not relative as we're holding on to other things, but absolute dependence on, on God and our refusal to trust um, ultimately in any human resource or power. Fasting is also portrayed here as an expression of seeking God 
with life and death seriousness because they had no protection, nothing like that. Did you know that this was in the Bible? What kind of faith that these people had? They didn't have the whole scripture to see how God would work, right? And yet still, this is what Ezra, the teacher, was saying to the people and teaching them. It was a matter of life and death seriousness. So fasting is a, is a, is a life and death seriousness. And isn't it relevant that we're in a life and death situation now? Fear is gripping everyone. I dare say, and I'm saying here, that I'm calling us to personally fast more for these reasons. So we fasted and sought our God, even as a church. After going through this and studying it more deeply, I am convicted more to incorporate fasting more in our corporate church services um, that I didn't do before, right? Especially at such times as this. And, and the reason being is not for, for it to become a ritual because God can pray and answer prayer even without fasting. But as I said here, it's, 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 they, 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 um, they didn't want an escort um, so that they could testify to King Artaxerxes about the power and faithfulness and sufficiency of God in protecting his people. Right? Not only his people, but all um, the resources, the children, and, and, and so on. And so they fasted and sought. And so we fasted and sought our God. Then fasting is a way of expressing one's concern for the success of God's work. Nehemiah 1, verses 3 to 4. Daniel was well into his 70s when he sought the Lord by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, all of which was a fruit of his desire to be to see Israel set free from her captivity in Babylon. Daniel 9, verse 3. So we see here that Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1, verses 3 to 4, and Daniel in Daniel 9, verse 3, um, that God, that, that fasting was implemented in the whole situation there for their um, freedom from Babylonian captivity. So their deliverance that fasting um, accentuates. Fasting also serves to humble and rebuke us as it reveals how much of our happiness depends on external pleasures of eating. Psalm 69 and verse 10. Here's what it says. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. What he meant by that, that means is my reproach, the, the actual fasting and so on that he did 
and sought and seeking of the Lord, reveal, made a, became a reproach to him, reveal how unspiritual he was. It, you see, fasting serves to humble and, and to rebuke. Fasting can rebuke us. We always fast for other things, yes, but fasting does something to us. It rebukes us as it reveals. Fasting is a revealer how much of our happiness depends on the external pleasures of eating. Nothing is wrong with eating. And don't feel guilty if you eat and, and enjoy your food. But fasting takes us to a, another spiritual level to, to let our hearts know how much of our happiness depends on the satisfying of the physical appetite, which is fleeting over against a spiritual one, which is eternal. Fasting teaches us self-control and self-discipline. Our belly must not be our God as it is to some. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, Romans 16 and verse 18, also 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 25 to 27. And look at North America, look at the average person. No, I'm, I don't sign off on my brethren. I'm not saying that if you can, some excess weight that 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 um your belly is is your god because you can be skinny and your belly is your god too and and the reasons for carrying excess weight could be hormonal it could be many other reasons so i'm just careful in clarifying that right god knows your heart and god knows you and i'm not saying it in it i'm not talking about that but our belly must not be our god in other words, as soon as we don't get a meal, we say, instead of saying I'm hungry, we say we're starving. Hunger and starvation are not the same. But here's what Richard Foster says. This is how he puts it. More than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Let me repeat that. More than any other single discipline, Fasting reveals the things that control us. And maybe that's why we don't fast so much. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who, belong, who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things. But in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Remember now, David, again, in Psalm 69, verse 10, he said, I humbled my soul with fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. Because I've been in situations where people fasting, they, they're kind of edgy. Their mood changed because the, the fasting is exposing something. That they have to get something else now to, 
to, to cover up these things. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. <laughs> then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. Page 48. Um, again, John Piper states it this way. What are we slaves to? What are our bottom line passions? I like this one is a sick. What are our bottom line passions? I'm going to slow down this brethren. It takes two weeks. What are our bottom line passions? Fasting is God's testing ground and also God's healing ground. Because right where that is exposed, brethren, that is where we see stuff that were there and we, we covered it over with other things. I continue what John Piper said here. Will we murmur as the Israelites murmured when they had no bread? Will we leave the path of obedience and turn stones into bread? Or will we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Fasting is a way of revealing to ourselves and confessing to God what is in our hearts. And in his, in his article, man shall not live by bread alone, page four. Remember now, brethren, this is it. When Jesus was fasting in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, um, he fasted and fought for many days, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. And um, I, I, we're going to see that you, you shouldn't take a fast on like that. You should do it gradually and build up, and it's also controlled. We'll deal with that at the end of everything in the practical way of going about fasting. But for now, um, it was at those point Jesus was tempted to by the enemy to turn stones into bread. You see, Jesus could. Uh, it, it is a fasting that puts us at the edge where we meet these these things. Jesus had no sin in him, and yet, um, and so fasting does that. It reveals. I like what he says here. Will we murmur as the Israelites murmured when they had no bread? And bread means the necessities of life, which in this case, we're talking about food and, um, and so on. Will we leave the path of obedience and turn stones into bread? Jesus still obeyed the Father. Man shall not live by bread alone. By the, it, that bread is a euphemism for the, the, the necessities of life, but we can use it in a practical way, in a general sense here. But by every word, and there's it, that comes from the mouth of God. So therefore, the every word that comes from the mouth of God is more important than the bread of the physical appetites that we might have. This is what we're saying here. So fasting, fasting itself, the question we must answer is this. Will we murmur as the Israelites murmured when they had no bread? When you're fasting, where is our mind? 
Is it looking forward to, my goodness, when I finish after, I can you start to think about what we're going to eat and enjoy during the fast? That's a revelation right there. And we almost wanted to finish quickly. Watching the time. What is happening there? That's a form of murmuring. Will we leave the path of obedience and, and turn stones into bread? We can't turn stones into bread as such, but, but in the sense of abandon the fast and, and, um, and, 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 and you grab anything. Everything, anything because your appetite is so heightened, anything becomes bread to you. Because when you're really hungry, stuff that you don't like, you might like. <laughs> you know, stone into bread. That, that's the point I'm making there. These are questions we need to answer, brethren. Fasting, next, fasting is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Jesus fasted in preparation for resisting the temptations of Satan. You see? Mark 9 verse 29, Matthew 17 and verses 14 to 21. Fasting heightens our complete dependence upon God and forces us to draw on him and his power and to believe fully in his strength. This explains why Jesus fasted in preparation for facing the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. As I said, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, and the other text that I quoted. It is important to note that as Jesus was standing on the brink of the most important public ministry the world had ever seen, he decided and made the choice to fast. He would have you ever paused, brethren, and tried to reflect on the eternal consequences of what transpired in the wilderness of Judea those 40 days? And it is important to note that it, is, it was that serious that Jesus fasted. And, um, and that's a lesson right there. And the Bible said he was led by the spirit to fast. And so the spirit as a way of preparing us and the spirit will lead us to fast. Therefore, we owe our salvation um, to Jesus Christ ultimately but part of the package to some measure, I'm not overstating this at all, I'll be very careful, um, to the fasting of Jesus. Because it showed that he made himself very vulnerable as from his humanity side, so he could depend on the Father totally. Um, and, and if Jesus could go through this, then what about the rest of us? This is a remarkable tribute to fasting. Is what Piper said. Countless examples from the history of the church could be cited that bear witness to the power of fasting and, um, 
I will just, um, let me see now. Yes. So therefore, church history in, in, in times of real crisis, I always say in the past, you know, that we pray and pray and pray. And if nothing happens, uh, then we, we, we um, I always said fasting is a last resort. And, I, um, and it is a last resort in some cases, in the sense that we should not just make it a habit where it loses effectiveness. We just fast for fast sake, as if to say, well, okay, God, I put in my fast, like a, like a check-in and a check-out after. And like you put money in the bank and say, God, I should do something now because I fasted. It is in that sense I was refuting. But I say that fasting must be as regular as God's spirit would lead us to in certain situations, both personally and corporately. Fasting opens our spiritual ears to discern God's voice. We hear a lot of distractions in a spiritual sense. We have a lot of distraction. A lot of things vying for our attention. The gentle words of the spirit are more readily heard during times of fasting. During times of fasting, God often grants insight and understanding into his will and purpose. Or, or perhaps new applications of his word to our lives as his spirit reveals things to us. Right? Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. When you have time, read these passages. Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. You see that that passage is, is, is instructive in this regard. Um, if, you are, if you have a situation where you are, you're supposed to start a project or some new dimension God is leading you into, don't just pray about it. Fast and pray. Fast and pray. Now, um, let me read segments of Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now, there was at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. There we find in the early church that happened. Here we see Saul, which is you know, Paul and Barnabas together with leaders of the church in Antioch, seeking direction from the Lord as, as to where they should go as a church in terms of ministry. Their um, desperation to hear God's voice and follow God's will could find no more appropriate expression than through bodily denial. As they turn away from physical dependence on food, they cast themselves in spiritual dependence on God. Yes, Lord, we love food. We thank you for it. We enjoy it as you want us to. But now, oh Lord, there is something before us more important than filling our mouths and quenching our thirst. Where would you 
have us go? Where? Whom shall we send? How shall it be financed? Lord, we hunger to know your will. Lord, we thirst for your direction. Feed us, O Lord, with that which is not food as we know it. There's much to learn here about the importance of fasting. Let me list a few from this context. And Piper, in his book, um, verses, um, um, pages 106 to 108, these are listed. They were fasting after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, I've said earlier that Jesus said to the, the Pharisees, you know, they say, why are they not fasting? Because the Pharisees were fasting for the wrong reasons. And Jesus was saying, well, I, I'm still here with them. So therefore, you know, they don't need to fast. When I leave, then they will fast. Here we find now that they were fasting after the death of Jesus, his, his death and resurrection. This is important for the simple reason that some argue that fasting was an Old Testament practice, no longer relevant for people in the church age. And, um, and, and, and some people, especially the cessationists, who some believe that certain gifts and certain things um, have ceased because they erroneously misinterpret 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says that um, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is imperfect, now we see through a glass darkly and so on, and it, that, it, that which is, is done away. Um, that is talking about um, not the gifts of the spirit and so on. It speaks about our ability to, we, we see through a glass darkly or our mirror darkly. We call it you know, glass as such, but the, the Greek word means mirror, brass that was polished. So you could not see clearly as we have mirrors, no could see clearly in that. That's what, that's a point made there. Um, in other words, some interpret that as meaning that, you know, the, the, um, the prophecy, God used to speak to prophecies, prophets and all these things, but now the word has come, he doesn't need to do that anymore. That's not what the text is saying. It means that even at best with all the scriptures, we still do not understand everything. That is what it means. So when the Lord returns, then we will know as we are known, even ourselves and, and lots of things, who we don't, things that we don't know now. That is what that means. And so here, the early church, they fasted after the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is instructive. Then they fasted together as a group. Clearly, they did not believe that Jesus is warning about fasting to be seen by men. In Matthew 6, verses 17 to 18, you know, the text that we just read, um, precluded corporate um, fasting. You know, some people take this out of context, say, ah, no fasting is seen by men, so therefore we shouldn't have corporate fasting. We should do my private. It's not talking about that at all. That was talking for the reason and the motive behind fasting. When you fast as a group, others obviously know, but this is evidently not a violation of Christ's instruction. 
Evidently, the church leaders at Antioch um, take Jesus to mean that not that we sin if someone knows that we are fasting, but that, that's, that we sin if our motive is to be known for our fasting so that men will applaud us. Group fasting has marked God's people all through biblical and post-biblical history. In other words, um, fasting itself publicly, people see you fasting. You fast not to be seen by people, but if you fast publicly, you'll be seen by people. If it's what I'm talking about. You, you'll be seen, but you, you don't do it to be seen. And there's a difference. Then their fasting became the occasion for the Spirit's guidance to be communicated to them. Let us not miss the obvious causal link that Luke draws. It was while and when they were ministering to the Lord and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke. Indeed, it would not be too much to say that it was because they ministered to the Lord and fasted that he spoke. This is important, right? And uh, we're not saying here that, that, um, that fasting puts God in our debt as if he owes us, as if it compels him to respond to us. You're not like, okay, the fasting and God did this. No, it's while. And when they were actually ministering to the Lord and doing these things, it was not with fasting and then God, it was while they were doing it um, that, um, that the Lord spoke to them, right? And so that's important to note. God does not promise to be found by those who diligently seek him. God does, I should say, promise to be found by those who diligently seek him with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29 verses 12 and 13. People who are merely open to God rarely find him. You know, this man said, I'm open to God. God postures himself to be found by those who wholeheartedly seek him. And fasting is a single-minded pursuit to know, hear, and experience more of God. It's important to note. And then also, what God said to them in the course of their fasting changed history. This revelatory word was spoken in a moment of spiritual hunger for God's voice to fill the void left by mere human wisdom. The result, both immediate and long-term, are stunning. For prior to this incident, the church had progressed little, if at all, beyond the eastern coastland of the Mediterranean. Paul had as yet taken no missionary journey at all westward to Asia, Minor, Greece, Rome, and Spain. And you know, Paul had four missionary journeys after this. Neither had he written any of his epistles. So before all of this, he had not taken any missionary journey, but he had four missionary journeys. And then 
after that, Paul wrote um, the epistles, his letters were a result that came out of these four missionary journeys um, and where he had planted the churches. This occasion of prayer and fasting, it would seem, resulted in a, in, in, in a missions in movement that would catapult the Christianity from obscurity into the domain of a religion in the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries. There was a big explosion, a flame was, was lit that was not able to be quenched by the greatest persecution you could ever think. The spreading flame of the, of the, of the, the truth of God through his church, right? Um, they were not in, they're, not, they're not going to hide in. The, even if they, they were killed and so on, it spread more. We're told in Acts 2 that, that when I try to quench, the Bible say, worms and the, the king, but the word of God grew. We always see that the word of God grew. The word of God grew. The word of God grew. But what makes us um, in alignment with the word and to, be, to focus to work along is to sharpen our spiritual sensitivities to the leading of God. Fasting is very instructive in this regard. And so Paul wrote his 13 epistles um, at that time. And now we have billions of Christians um, throughout the world today. John Wesley recorded in his journal a time of fasting that seemed to have altered the course of history. In it, he said, the King of England called a solemn day of prayer and fasting because of the threatened invasion of the French in 1756. Wesley wrote, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarcely seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. And in a footnote he had it, humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. And this is in journal, um, page 147. Now, it's important, our journal 147, it's important to note that here, prayer and fasting change the trajectory of history. Okay. Fasting sharpens and intensifies our intercessory prayers. Arthur Wallace, W-A-L-L-I-S, has noted that fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity into our prayer and to give force to our pleading in the, in the court of heaven. The man who prays with fasting is given, giving heaven notice that he 
is truly earnest. Not only so, but he is expressing his earnestness in a divinely appointed way. He is using a means that God has chosen to make his voice heard on high. Okay. And um, fasting also is, an, is instructive in worship. Anna, in Luke 2, verses 36 and 37, worshipped God by fasting, fastings, plural, and prayers. Verse 37, um, you see that there. Acts 13, 1 to 3, as I did earlier. The example of Anna, in a certain sense, stands as a rebuke to us. She fasted for years in anticipation of the coming of Messiah. But he has come now. We now have the blessings he came to provide. John Piper again here um, applies this to us in a very serious way. Shall we long for him less than Anna long for him? Does the fact that we have had him with us for 30 years and have his spirit now make you long less or more? Oh, what an indictment of our blindness if the answer is less. I say, let us long for him and yearn for him and look for him with more intensity than Anna. Shall we have less devotion than those pre-Christian saints? During the time that is before Christianity exploded. We have been, we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Shall we hunger less for his appearing? In other words, we have a greater understanding because of the body of literature and scripture than they had. And so it should make us know more and in anticipation for the best that is yet to come. And in his book, Fasting for the King's Coming, verse three, John Piper. Fasting can be an expression of our generosity and compassion to those who are in need. And of course, we know the well-known passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 58 is instructive in this regard. God issues an indictment against his people. But what Isaiah calls sin looks amazing like godly religious fervor. And there are, there are a couple of things, a few things that we need to note that um, would show spiritual fervor. Verse two of Isaiah 58. They were seeking God. Then 
They delighted to know God's ways, verse 2. They asked God for just decisions, verse 2. They delighted in the nearness of God, verse 2. They fast and humble themselves, verse 3. Yet, <laughs> boy, this is some scary stuff. Yet they fa th their fasting does not please God. Why? The reason is made clear in verses 3 to 5. The ethical accompaniments of their fasting are abominable. This is very important. A lot of church are big on fasting. And some people like to fast. But the way that they treat others and live in relation to others makes that fast hypocritical. And displeasing to the Lord. We're going to see this in a moment. The ethical accompaniment. The ethical accompaniments of their fasting. Are abominable. They are motivated by selfish desire. Verse 3b. They are unfair and harsh. To those who work for them. Verse 3c. They are irritable and contentious and stir up strife and get into fights. Verse 4a. This is not the kind of fast that God desires. If your fasting leaves you selfish, grumpy, abrasive, abusive, angry, Insensitive to the needs of those around you. Someone once said here, for heaven's sake and for the sake of everyone else, go eat something. The fast that God desires results in several activities. And here they are. John Piper has, um, you know, narrowed it down to a few here, you know, of seven general categories. One, in fasting, we are called to lift the burden of bondage. Verses six and nine, Isaiah 58. Then in fasting, we are called to feed the hungry. Verse 7a. In this fast, in this fasting, if we're going to fast, we are called to house the homeless. Verse 7b. In this fasting, we are called to clothe the naked. Verse 7c. In this fasting, we are called to be sympathetic. To feel what others feel because we have the same flesh as they do. Verse 7d. Hebrews 13 verse 3. The point of this letter. 
um, in the text is states that you have the same flesh as they do. So put yourself in their place and feel what they feel. It says here in Hebrews 13, verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison. with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body remember those who are in prison these were christian believers in prison but also in solidarity with humanity jesus said you know i was hungry didn't feed me i was thirsty as naked in clothes, and so on. Why, why, why did he say that? These are not believers out there he's talking about. But the solidarity with humanity because he caused the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's an interesting study by itself. Then, in this fasting, we are called to put away gestures and words that show contempt for other people. Verses, verse nine, we should not be calling people empty head and all these derogatory terms and even thinking that we are about other people. The Lord willing, I'm going to do an in-depth study on Sunday, more into the details of these, not fasting. I'm not going to talk about fasting on Sunday and in sermon. But um, this under the Lord willing, but in, in, in the material that I'm, I prepared. And then in fasting, we are called not just to give food, but to give ourselves, our souls, and not just to satisfy the stomach of the poor, but the soul of the afflicted, my God, help us. Verse 10, Isaiah 58. In this fasting, let me re repeat this. We're called not just to give food. Because I'm fasting, let me give, because I'm gonna mention in a moment that when, you, when you're fasting, there is something more here too. Not just to, you do it out of food, but the, the, the food that you have given up, whatever cost that would be to you if you had that like if if a meal that costs you if you if you fast for a day and that me and you it would cost you about several 20 bucks of eating that cost that day give that 20 bucks to somebody else that's a principle here but it goes further it says not only give food but give ourselves, self-giving. Give our souls. What does that mean? That means in giving ourselves, we're giving it from the depth of our souls. Not just to satisfy the stomach of the poor or we fed them physically, but pray that your souls will be satisfied with God and with truth. Jesus did this. 
when he fed the, the thousands. Fed them, yes, but he ministered to them. The result is equally clear in Isaiah 58. If we fast like this, the darkness in our lives will become light. Verse 8a and verse 10b of Isaiah 58. This sort of fasting will also result in physical strengthening. Verses, verses B, 8b and 11b. Yes, fasting, there is an inseparableness between, um, there's a thing called epigenetics. That means epi means above, above the genes, what influence the genes. And in a physical sense, fasting is healing and therapeutic, therapeutic in so many ways. So you might feel like you're a wreck when you're fasting, but your body's detoxing, but you have physical benefits too. Fasting upregulates longevity genes. Oh, yes. I must insert some scientific stuff here. There are certain genes that are called sertorin. Yeah, I'm sertorin one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Interesting, the seven, seven of them. Perfection. And fasting upregulates them. The more you're comfortable and eat a lot and so on, those genes go to sleep, you're dormant. Because fasting, the body thinks that there's a crisis and, and these genes want to survive and so on. But you shouldn't fast for that physical reason. I'm just mentioning this on the side, based upon this verse here, right? It, it resulted in physical strength. That's a bonus. And then God, will be in front of us and behind us and in our midst, in the midst of us with righteousness and glory when we fast this way. Now, that's Old Testament, when God is ever with us in wrongness and so on, but I dare, this is found in verses 8c and 9a. I must say here on this point that God is with us in a greater way than back then, because we are in Christ, I must clarify, we have a fuller revelation. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. But although that is in the New Testament, we are told to draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. God is near to us, yes. But what that means is that we will we'll be aware of his nearness and his intimacy. And fasting is like it, it cleans the, 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 um, the, our, um, our, 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 our spectacles, our spiritual spectacles, the spectacles of our heart that are cluttered and cloudy and stained with all kind of stuff. Fasting clean, cleanses all of that as these things clutter our perception of God and our sensitivity. It just like how physically there's a heightening of the genes and so on. There's a spiritual heightening of stuff in our spiritual being that we're kind of dormant. Fasting does this, you know? And then we are told, if we fast like this, God promises to guide us continually. Um, verse 11a. If we fast like this, God will satisfy our souls. Verse 11b. Let me pause here again. Um, 
Many of us have the discipline of fasting, and I'm not saying you must fast more or fast less. And those of us who don't fast, we should be fasting more. And you can never fast too much, it, but, uh, but 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 you can fast too little, I believe. But I, I must say also that there's a danger where fasting is the means to an end and not the end in itself. And sometimes we have a, pro, a proclivity towards focusing on the, on the means and not the end. We, we, we focus on like prayer is powerful. Faith is powerful. And the danger is that we think that it's faith, is object of faith. With prayer, it's it's is is the object of prayer. So with fasting, it's object and the reason for fasting, right? Is to that is important. So fasting, as I said in the beginning, is actually feasting. You might be fasting, you might be sacrificing the feast of food, but you're getting the feast of spirituality through the word. I'm going to get into that, maybe not tonight. Okay. No, you can feast on the word without fasting, but somehow fasting makes room for the word to be digested and ingested more. If we fast like this, God will make us like a well-watered garden with springs that do not fail. Verse 11c of Isaiah 58. You see, a well-watered garden is, you know, bringing with springs. That is the description using the metaphor here of garden with springs of the soul, the spirit of God gushing out of us. We are, you know, all the clutter is gone. All the, the things that were hindering and so on are now loosened off. And so we can get the sunlight of God's grace basking in our souls. And you know, sometimes if you plant stuff, then there's too much shade, it can't grow properly. And shade can have darkness, like, you know, men like darkness because their deeds are evil. And sometimes we like shade, spiritual shade. You now there's a shade in the, in the wilderness is different. I'm talking about no, because that's from, 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 the, from the weariness and so on. But I'm talking about shade in the sense of, in a bad sense now, concerning sin. So, okay. so what does a church or a person who is a well-watered garden with springs that do not fail, what does that look like and feel like? Hmm. Isaiah 58 is instructive for us today. We could be fasting, doing everything, but if there are these other things, God is not pleased. The Bible says God is obedience above sacrifice. And so if we sacrifice, you do the sacrifice of fasting without obeying the word of God, then does fasting God is displeased with. Fasting is feasting. And I'll stop at this. Wow, I went right over. Let me bear my brain out, just close with this point. Fasting is feasting. Or what to eat when you're on a fast. The ironic thing about fasting is that it, it really isn't about not eating food. It's about feeding on the fullness of 
every divine blessing secured for us in Christ Jesus. Fasting tenderizes our heart to experience the presence of God. It expands the capacity of our souls to hear the voice and be assured of his love and be filled with the fullness of his joy. This is what Dallas Willard um, explains about fasting. Fasting confirms our utter dependence on God by, fill, by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Though through it, we learn to experience that God's word to us is a life substance that is not food, bread alone that gives life, but also the words that proceed from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, verse 4. We learn that we too have meat to eat that the world does not know about, John 4, verses 32 to 34, 32 and 34. Fasting unto the Lord is therefore feasting, feasting on him and on doing his will. This is the spirit of this the spirit of disciplines. Page 166. And so, therefore, brethren, I, I think I have to stop here because of time. Um, you know, that fasting is feasting because we are substituting physical food for spiritual food. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, as we continue this study, that you will lead us into all truth. Thank you for tonight. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom in Jesus' name.